This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni. Chapter 24, Confessing Perfection. A good many years ago, a book was written titled, as I recall it, A World I Never Made. The title appealed intensely to liberal and radical university students who carried it around like a Bible. Ernest Hemingway's silly For Whom the Bell Tolls was similarly used like an intellectual icon. I tried reading Hemingway's book, but got no further than the laughable scene where the hero and heroine, after copulating, both swore that the earth shook. Their fornication was for them a cosmic act. I found it a laughable one. Many years later, I was delighted to learn that my wife Dorothy had tossed the book aside at some point. At the same point. A World I Never Made was a title with an instant and profound appeal to all our Pharisees. The world was for them indeed a sorry place, undeserving of their idealism and their high-minded beliefs. The book was carried about as a symbol of faith, as was Hemingway's book. It was a public testimony to the fact that they were not responsible for the evil world their fathers and forefathers had ostensibly created. They were the victims of a world they never made, and to carry the book and to provoke discussions of it was their way of confessing themselves as too noble and too good for so evil a generation. These were well-fed, well-clothed, and in some instances well-financed students, graduate and undergraduate. One of the most self-righteous of these, later a professor, had as a student already travelled widely abroad, financed by leftist funds. He found me a crass and heartless person because I was not offended over the world the capitalists, Christians and our parents had made. All these students were making a very public confession of ostensible virtue, their virtue, in seeing and denouncing the evils of our past. Since then, Many of these confessors of humanistic virtue have been active and sometimes important architects of greater evils than those they witnessed in their day. Paul and the apostolic fellowship accompanying him in Hebrews 11 gives us an account of true but not perfect confessors of the faith and concludes thus, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, 
Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. End quote. From Hebrews 11.32-40 For our present concern, only a limited aspect of Paul's statement can be cited. Because of man's sin, we live in an evil and fallen world. God's chosen men suffer because of their faith, their public profession and confession. The men of the Old Testament era suffered monstrous evils, even as men in Paul's day, beginning with himself, were suffering and would further suffer. All these failed to receive the promises of the promised fullness of God's kingdom, which will come in the gospel age, but not without further conflict and persecution. In other words, the men who contribute most to God's glorious kingdom also suffer most at the hands of an ungodly world. Such men confess their sins to God, and they confess the Lord to the fallen world. The iconic confession of a world I never made is a confession of virtue too distressed and hurt by the evils of the past to be silent. It is a confession of implicit perfection, suffering at the spectacle of an evil world being made their dwelling place. I recently read an excellent, kindly and generally favourable biography of Frederick Douglass, 1817-1895, author of such works as Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, An American Slave, 1845, My Bondage and My Freedom, 1855, Life and Times of Frederick Douglass, written by himself, his early life as a slave, his escape from bondage, and his complete history to the present time, and other works. I read portions of his books in my student days and was impressed by his intelligence and eloquence. William S. McFeely's Frederick Douglass, 1991, gives a sympathetic but more accurate account than Douglass ever did. He was born of a black slave woman and a white man. His owners early recognised his intelligence and treated him well. He lived with and was educated by a white family. He worked little, but many a white boy then and since, living on a farm, has worked more and harder than Douglass ever did. True, he was a slave, but a favoured one. He received part of the pay for his work when he was hired out. His master, Thomas Auld, rescued Frederick Douglass from jail and serious trouble on one occasion. He promised Douglass that he would set him free at age 25, not too far off, if he worked faithfully at a trade and stayed out of further trouble. There was a rationale behind this. Frederick Douglass, a very talented man, chose to make a career out of being an ex-slave. He could not tug at heartstrings if he had been freed or if he had told of the loving care and education he had received. He made a profitable profession in the United States and Europe of playing the abused slave. He vilified Thomas Auld, who had only done him good. When Thomas Auld was old and dying, Frederick Douglass visited him. 
The bedside visit lasted 20 minutes. All gently corrected Douglas on some of his misstatements about his family background and the correct year of Douglas's birth. A gracious Christian, he never spoke of Douglas's slanders concerning himself. At one point, Douglas was moved to apologise for false charges made about having turned out my dear old grandmother like an old horse to die in the woods. The truth was that he had cared for her in her old age and infirmity until she died. Douglas's first wife was a black woman. His second wife was a red-headed white girl, an abolitionist and feminist. Her father, a noted abolitionist, at first objected to the union but subsequently became open and friendly. Douglas's black family and friends regarded him as a traitor. Those who had objected to white bigotry showed far more bigotry themselves. Douglas was a man who ridiculed the Bible. Although he himself was not averse to bearing witness to suit the anti-slavery cause, lying for a just reason seemed valid, nor averse to adultery, he demanded a perfect America. It did not occur to him that people all over the world shared his sins, whatever their colour, so what good could come out of such sinful men? But because he believed in perfection and justice, however he defined it, Frederick Douglass felt that his confession of faith in a perfect world marked him a good man. In all of this, there was nothing new. Douglas's attitude is the professional political stance. Confess your dedication to civic virtue, to world peace, to helping the poor with tax funds, to minority rights, to racial brotherhood and to other like matters, and you have, in the eyes of many, confessed your virtue. Do it loudly enough in Congress and you confess near perfection. Of course, certain personal choices like adultery, homosexuality and indirect payments for political favours do not count, it seems. When Christians raise questions about politicians' conduct in such matters, we are told that we have violated the First Amendment and the separation of church and state. A recent legislator's book called for the federal intervention and control of the family, but the fact that this congresswoman loved her children and showed herself surrounded by them was the ostensible assurance of her virtue in this sphere. The book, A World I Never Made, was briefly an icon. Carrying it about marked one as a member of the Fellowship of Suffering Humanistic Saints. The book and its author are now virtually forgotten, but the spirit marked and revealed by its title are very much with us. But the world was not empty when we came into it. True, it was full of evil, but it was also rich with the justice and the good for which some Christians laboured over the centuries. For those who have contributed nothing to that heritage but have only whined and put and puled with self-pity over a world they never made, one can only say they are adept at turning their lives into hell and in making their surroundings aspects of hell. Confession is always self-revelation. Those who complain about a world they never made are revealing themselves to be the impotent ones of history. They can generate nothing but hatred, trouble and disaster. This is the end of chapter 24. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. 
We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio podcast network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.